This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, your host, and each week on America's Voice for Energy, I have the opportunity to interview the experts who helped me with each week's column. This show has been on the air now for about eight months. And in that time, what I typically do is have four different guests, one for each segment. Occasionally, I only have two guests, sometimes three, depending on who's available and and the topic and so forth. But typically, I have four different guests. However, typically, my topic is news Based And I use the news of the day, bring in the input of experts, and put the column together. However, last week I was in Mexico where I was speaking for a group of expats in an area known as Lake Chapala. It's about 30 miles outside of Guadalajara. And I had a great time while I was there and had the opportunity to take a few vacation days while I was there. There, I sat around the pool and read a novel, something I seldom have the luxury of doing. But the novel that I read was not the usual light, fluffy, chick lit, as I like to call it, that I'm fond of. Instead, I read something that's not my normal genre. I read what I would call a thriller. Now, the reason I was reading this book is because the author... Coleman Alderson sent me a copy of the book. He reads my column. He likes my work. And he said, I have a brand new book. It's my first book, my debut novel. Would you give it a look? I think you'll like it. So I promised I would. I carried the novel around the country with me. It was in my bag on several trips, thinking I would read it on the plane. But instead, on the plane, I did other projects and never quite got uh, to reading Mountain Whispers, Days Without Sun. So when I went to Mexico, that was my opportunity. And I was so grateful that that I stuck with it and read it, stuck with, you know, what was not my gut feeling. And uh, once I got into reading the book, I could not put it down. I finished it in the Dallas airport on my way home from my trip to Mexico. And so being gone all last week and not being as quite up on the news, I may be cheated a little bit, at least in my opinion, in writing my column for this week. And my the title of my column is, what would the world be like if the environment, excuse me, it's what would America be like if the environmentalists win? My original title was just what if they win, but I decided it didn't really give uh, potential readers enough of a clue of what they might be reading. And so when I got home on Sunday, I, I easily pounded out my column based on Coleman Alderson's book, Mountain Whispers, Days Without Sun. Now, interestingly, Coleman and I did a little video interview on Sunday afternoon as I, to add to, some, to my column, to add some interesting details to my column. We talked, and instead of talking on the phone, we talked via some, some, web, some uh, website like Skype. 
and we recorded the whole thing and actually have it available. But we had such a great time talking, I thought, for this week's um, show, for this week's America's Voice for Energy, I'm just going to talk to Coleman. He's going to be my whole show. So while my column is different from usual, so is this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. So I want to welcome the author of Mountain Whispers, Days Without Sun, to America's Voice for Energy. Coleman, thanks for joining me today. It is my great pleasure, Marita. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you know, I, as I mentioned, obviously, in my long-winded introduction, I don't normally do that long an introduction either, but as I mentioned, uh, this is a, a different format for me, and I, my column was really more of a book review on your book, and I wasn't sure how people were going to respond, but they were very positive. I was very pleased with the response that I've gotten from people, in fact, people I don't normally hear from from, sent me emails saying, I really liked your column this week, very interesting. I was speaking at a conference yesterday and someone had read the column and said something to the effect of that book sounds really interesting, I'm going to get a copy. So I, I think we were successful in, uh, in the piece that we put together. Well, that's heartening because I, I really believe it's a story that has not been told in this particular format, and it's one that really needs to be told. Well, let's start there. Why, you know, tell us kind of the background of the story and why you chose to write uh, this content, because let me, let me back up for just a sec. As I wrote in my column, that your book, Mountain Whispers, Days Without Sun, and let me mention this is the first of a trilogy, and the trilogy, correct me if I'm wrong, Coleman, the trilogy is Mountain Whispers, and book one is Days Without Sun. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Okay. So your book, Mountain Whispers, Days Without Sun, I felt and this is what, how I wrote it in my column, was a perfect follow-up to my book, uh, Energy Freedom. And I really would encourage our listeners to, to check out the video that we, I have a link to in the column of our interview from Sunday, because in it you held up your copy of my book, and your copy of my book is full of post-it notes and different colored tags sticking out all over it. And uh, so I appreciate that, because they really, the two books really, Really uh, make a good uh, good pairing, a good partner. Mine is is very fact based and has a lot has pages of footnotes in it to document what I'm saying. And so mine's definitely not a novel. It's a short, easy read though, but it's not a novel. And in it, I present the idea of what would the world be like if we could just wave a magic wand and give the environmentalists everything they want. And I believe that most people would assume that, frankly, the world would be better if we could do that, if we could wave that magic wand and give the environmentalists everything they want. But for, throughout the chapters of the book, I show how, well, they don't like this, so here's if took that away, here's what would happen, and they don't like this. And of course, I'm talking about energy. So I'm talking about oil, gas, coal, and nuclear, but most people don't realize how, how, um, how central oil and natural gas are to all plastics and so many other things, um, chapstick, Vaseline, all kinds of other things, so they don't realize that. 
So I kind of just kind of present, you know, we have this bleak existence. But what you've done is put that bleak existence into a novel form, and instead of having that magic wand, as I present in my book, you make it far more realistic by going step-by-step step kind of uh, as the regulations take place. And your book starts about 25 years from now. So I'm sorry, I've probably gone on. See, I'm so excited about your book. But so tell us kind of why did you choose this format and why did you feel compelled to write this book? Well, um, first of all, I'm fourth generation into this industry of uh, land holding and land development and resource management, particularly in West Virginia and central Appalachia. And over the years, uh, we've seen a lot of industry come and go. And as it is right now, uh, it used to be more or less uh, taken for granted flyover territory, but in the past decade or so, it has become a target-rich environment that has been pummeled and, and carpet-bombed by regulators, particularly those in the EPA and uh, MSHA and, uh, you know, various other federal agencies that have come down. Lots of um, uh, non-governmental organization-type lawsuits have come up. And as you have probably told folks about, there's a lot of in-tandem work between the government agencies like EPA and, and other groups that are in lockstep with each other, and they, they do these sweetheart suits and all that. Um, so our, our industry has been hammered, and it seemed like in conversation with a fellow six years ago, I mentioned, well, why are they doing that when it seems like the whole premise, the whole premise of this is a uh, onrushing global climate change event that's going to cause catastrophe, and that's why we're taking all these measures, and that's why our industry is being put back and set back um, in the name of this oncoming climate prediction, which, as I read it, it seemed pretty, you know, kind of iffy. It didn't seem like there was any real, real uh, certainty about it, but I would say the people that were talking about it felt like they had to be certain. And uh, that's what came down, and, and the fellow I was talking to said, well, the people have already gone for the premise. It's too late. We have to deal with what is, and we have to deal with all these regulations. And um, I can tell you, that was six years ago. As a result, six years ago, um, fast forward to today, and, and we see that they're playing to put on um, additional burdens with the clean power plan, uh, 30% uh, reduction in um and pollutants, so-called pollutants, and also they're, um, they're coming at us with taxes and other things. And it's, for instance, the clean coal, you've probably heard of that, the clean coal uh, direction trajectory, everybody was saying, we can do it with clean coal. That was really a euphemism for no Yeah, coal. you know, it's funny you mention that. I was at a conference speaking yesterday, and someone in the audience asked, that he said, well, I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and he said, Harry Reid, uh, you know, was kind of the gorilla in the room there, and he said, Harry Reid says there is no such thing as clean coal. Is there such a thing as clean coal? And I said, well, you know, I said, it's no, not really. 
I said the coal is coal that comes out of the ground. I mean, yes, there is some that has higher ash content and some that has a higher sulfur content and so forth. But what makes coal supposedly clean, what they call that, is that we have the technology now uh, to clean up the the uh, exhaust from the power plants and and really make a make a difference that way. And that is what makes it clean. And in fact, Coleman, you may or may not be aware. That you know, I live in New Mexico, and in in my, in my state, we have two power plants up in what's called the Four Corners area, and we're about out of time here for our first segment. So I'll finish up with this, and we'll come back to you. But um, th- th- where we have these four, these two coal-fired power plants in the Four Corners area, the American Lung Association has just announced, I believe it was last week, that the Farmington area has one of, I think it's the second best air quality in the country, yet those coal-fired power plants are being shut down, or at least partially shut down. It's in the process right this moment, Um, and I'm going to write on it probably next week. And, um, you know, this is over... The, the whole thing that you're talking about, the whole clean power plan, the whole climate change, the whole CO2 emissions issue, and uh, but yet we've got the cleanest air, second cleanest air in the country in this area. So as I explained to this guy, you know, it's not that the coal is different. It's that the technology of burning it is different. Coleman, we're going to end this segment in about 15 seconds. Tell people where they can get your book, Mountain Whispers, Days Without Sun. It's up on Amazon in uh, paper book format, or they can download it with a Kindle, and it's up there already, ready to go. And uh, Great. I really appreciate reviews. So folks that get it, they would go back and give a, give a review on it. That's great. Great. We'll be right back with America's Voice for Energy. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Today we have a special edition. We're talking exclusively with Coleman Alderson, the author of Mountain Whispers, Days Without Sun. And that's book one of a three-book trilogy. It's so far the only book that's available, and it is Coleman's debut novel. And uh, I read it on my vacation last week in Mexico and was so taken with it, I decided to make a review 
review of the book, my column for this week. So, Coleman, before we had to go on break, you were talking about that the idea of clean coal is really a euphemism, and I kind of jumped in and, and gave you my little story from yesterday. You want to pick up where we left off? Yeah, well, it ties in with the theme that the folks that are regulating are sort of a self-fulfilling kind of, of group, and to fulfill their purpose, they're always looking for new things to regulate. Yeah. And, you know, th this is borrowing from Atlas Shrugged and, and other sources. You, you mentioned, um, you know, Michael Crichton and a few other folks that have written like that. But it, it's what the point is that when they, they start doing these regulations, it's never satisfied. There's always a horizon of new regulations out there, and you never, ever will come to any real closure or conclusion. And so you clean up the coal and all that, and now it's the fly ash and the selenium yeah. and all these other things. There. Clean, clean is never clean enough, or how clean is clean. They keep, they keep exactly. dialing back or ratcheting down or whatever the right cliche is there. And so I just fast-forwarded into the future with the, the trajectory that we're already on, and I rather grease the skids on that as we go downhill. And um, it, it turns out that you meet up with a autocracy or a greenocracy, as I call it, that is in charge, and uh, they can pretty well rule the roost over all others with the the notion that well, it's all for the planet. You know, we're doing everything to keep the planet green, and essentially, it's all for the public good. It's all for the global good, and we're coming at it from that angle. So, I just built out from that what the world would look like, who would rule, who would be joining in most enthusiastically, who would be kind of you know floating along like. A bunch of folks would probably do with anything, mm -hmm. as they did in, in Germany in the 1930s. Sorry about that analogy, but I think it's true. And, it is um, true. I, I agree. And, so you, and then you'll have those that will not put up with any sort of, of nonsense of, of an you know, uber government telling them what to do, where to go, how to be, all of that. And I see that in my own heritage here in central Appalachia with the, the folks that live in the mountains, and they've never really um, welcomed government interference. <laughs> and, um, you know, they're just a hearty, rugged, independent group, and they... Freedom-loving. Like yeah, freedom-loving. They, they love life, and they love to live it as they choose. So, uh, you know, I, I just sort of put that, that as the, the, I guess, the the conflict, the counterpart to the folks mm -hmm. who live in the population centers and, and the elite that want to um, keep, keep tabs on everybody. So your book starts um, basically in 2052, uh, but you, you, can, you set it up with a, with a unique angle using a young girl. Uh, tell us about that. Well, this is a little heavy. We didn't get into this, but um, the young girl, her name is uh, Celie Pierce. Celie short for Cecilia. She's riding on a vintage iPod Touch, which uh, <laughs> her grandmother gave to her, which is sort of, you know, sort of funny, I, I think. But 
the deal is, uh, for her research and for her character, I read uh, the diary of Anne Frank. And, um, you know, she's kind of in that, that same position, um, and she's kind of hiding out in this cabin in this cove way back in the mountains because she's being sought after because she never, uh, she was never, quote, registered, unquote, and uh, does not carry a uh, RFID chip. So she's, she's sought after because they, they figured there's this unidentified child out there that uh, needs to be registered. So they they backed into the woods and they're hiding out and she can't go out very much. So it's very much like the, the situation on Frank. And, and it's not as dire, I wouldn't say, but she's writing from the point of a, a lonely 12-year-old to 14-year-old uh, young lady that has dreams and aspirations and yet she's never seen the sun hardly. It's mostly cold. Um, things, you know, they're living a subsistence kind of living, basically. So, so what, let's let's stop for a second. And I know that this is coming in a future book uh, because I because of our previous conversations. But you know, we hear about global warming and the planet burning up and so forth. So, why is it not sunny? Why is it cold? Well, um, the the folks at the top tend to be arrogant. And they tend to tend to think that for some reason we control the weather. Yeah. And like a judo move, when somebody pushes you pull, when somebody pulls you push, I just took that notion and put it in the context of geoengineering. Uh, I'm revealing a little more to you than than I should maybe. But, yeah, yeah, because I haven't heard you talk about geoengineering previously. <laughs> although I'm personally, I'm studied up on it. I just when I read it, I assumed that uh, the world had gone into a phase of global cooling, which many scientists believe we are heading into currently. And I know in New Mexico, a friend of mine in Santa Fe. You know, here we are in the middle of May, and he had snow two days ago. I, I saw on Facebook last night a friend in Denver posted, I think I'm in Oregon. I can't stand this rain. Why am I getting so much rain in Denver, and when is it ever going to warm up? And, uh, you know, so there's a, we may be heading into global cooling, and there's certainly many scientists out there who think that, that the, uh, the, the warming, the so-called warming pause, is over, and we're heading into global cooling. And so I, in reading it, assumed that that was. Uh, so I won't ask you to reveal any more of that. You can you can read it either way, and it works. So so we've got Celia, and she's not seen sun, and her family is hiding out in the woods because she didn't want to get registered, and she didn't want to get chipped. And I put in my column like a dog uh, to help people, you know, think about that because most of us have dogs. If we have a dog, is mine sitting next to me? I uh, have chips in them. Well, that's, it's rather, again, it's a logical extension of how, you know, folks are being fingerprinted these days, and we just received a batch of, um, of credit cards that have been renewed, and they all include a chip. Right. Um, interesting, huh? Okay. And as I wrote in my column, uh, I might have thought that you were kind of out to lunch uh, with this premise I probably wouldn't have, but because I'm, I've read enough on this topic. But I might have thought that, except for when I came into the United, back into the United States from Mexico, um, 
I didn't deal with a person at first. I went to a kiosk, and I took my new passport that has a chip and put my passport onto the, the reader, and it pulled up who I am, and the kiosk took a photo of me, and it printed out a little little report um, with my photo on it, and uh, I assume, I don't know this, but I assume that, you know, it did a quick scan of who I am and said, okay, she can come in. And so it printed out this report, and some people got, a, got instead of getting a printout, they got a referral, and they had to go on to a human being for further screening, but I got the little printout and went on through to uh, pick up my luggage and then had to go finally deal with the person. But... Um, I went, and then I had another situation um, just uh, the week before. My husband and I were going to church, and as we pulled out of our driveway, I saw a screen flash across my phone that I don't think I've ever signed up for or anything, and it says, seven minutes to your destination. And I'm like, seven? And, and I just kind of closed the screen, and then I started going, wait a minute. Seven minutes to my destination? Where does my phone think I'm going? And how does my phone know where I'm going? So I found the screen again, and my phone was right. It said the name of the church I was going to. It showed the route I would take, and it told me it was seven minutes to get there. And I was like, whoa, this is really weird. Well, it's, it's like we're, we're all uh, we're seen by certain entities as bundles of metadata, you know, just bundles of information walking around that could be so easily tapped these days. Yeah, and so when you realize that, some of what you propose, this chipping process and this record, is, it, it's, it's very realistic. It's very doable. You just, as you said, you've taken it, uh, you know, to the logical extension. So we've got about a, a couple more minutes in this segment. So we've got Celie and her family living out in the woods, uh, and, and there's others like them, I gather. Yes, it's, it's gone back somewhat to the days of the clans uh, in Scotland, where, uh, you know, the, the boundaries of the nations and, of course, therefore the states have been dissolved. Everything's run by a region overseen by a global governance. Okay, wait, that's the first you've mentioned of this, so let's give us a little bit more on that. Well, again, it's just an extension of where if we were just to, you know, let let them have it, you know, let let them have it all, uh, do an Atlas Shrug-like thing and just we all go off the Gulf, Gulf somewhere and let, let the rest of them have what they want. Um, so it's it's like that. And, and, the, and what do you call the global thing. government? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What do you call the global government in your book, the UN-like entity? Well, it's it's the World Council or Global Council. I kind of use that term interchangeably, but the enforcement arm is the G-E-E-O, the Global Environment Enforcement Organization. That is the uh, military police unit and the, the sort of agency that... Um, overseas and, and make sure everybody's doing the right thing. And uh, they're also responsible for bringing in the outliers that are still living out in various uh, outlying regions into population centers. And uh, it's kind of a recruitment type thing. It isn't quite forced 
at this point, but it's they really are incentivizing people to come in for medical care and, and you know, food and jobs and things like that that uh, offer security. Yeah, and so most of the people have come into these population centers, as you call them, and you know, and that's truly kind of the some of the some of the goals currently of the environmental movement. Though it sounds uh, odd, they don't like those of us as I'm sitting at my house, looking out my window at my ten acres and the surrounding acreage around me. They don't like those of us who live rural because uh, we're hard to control. Yeah, that's the bottom line, and the more you can get people concentrated and, and living in beehive-type situations, um, you know, stacked and packed, as they say, then, you know, they're a lot more easily controlled and overseen. Yeah, and, and we're out of time for this segment. Coleman, hang on just a moment. Okay. We'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy. We're talking to Coleman Alderson. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we have a unique episode. We're talking with Coleman Alderson, the author of uh, Mountains, Mountain Whispers. I started to say Mountain Shadows. I'm sorry. Uh, Mountain Whispers. I used to live in a housing development named Mountain Shadows. But we're talking with Coleman Alderson, author of Mountain Whispers, Days Without Sun. And it's his debut novel. I wrote my column this week as somewhat of a review of it. And so we're, we're getting some of the background story uh, from Coleman. And Coleman, uh, you know, this is such a fascinating discussion. And uh, as you and I did, 
did uh, our video interview on Sunday, and I saw after we got off, we ended, I went, wow, we spent 45 minutes on the phone, and it was really just background for me. It wasn't the kind of interview we're providing today, and so that's when I realized we could do a whole show, uh, just the two of us, uh, on your book. Uh, while I mention the video, can you tell our listeners if they want to watch, and it's a more chatty, a little more informal kind of interview, uh, can you tell our listeners how they can see that? Well, we have it up on our, we have a uh, landing page. It's uh, Mountain Whispers Books, that's plural, whispersbooks.com, and you can access it that way. And Great. Um, we also, I'll, I'll give a plug for our, uh, my blog site, which is littleredpill.com, and it's all running together, littleredpill.com, and you all probably know the, the source for that name. <laughs> but tell us, just in case if someone doesn't. Uh, it's from The Matrix, the beginning when the protagonist, Neo, is presented with the choice to either go down the rabbit hole and discover what's really going on or take a blue pill by taking a red pill or to take a blue pill and you kind of go back to sleep and everything's just the way it is and you don't really care about what's really happening. Ah, good. <laughs> so, all right, so your blog is littleredpill.com. Right. Good. And your website is mountainwhispersbooks.com, and that's where people can find a link to our video uh, chat, really. It wasn't really an interview. It was more of a chat. But uh, so, so we, we, I can't believe we've already spent two of our segments uh, on this topic discussing this and are, are well into our third segment here. So we've got the, the holdouts that you call the retros, and we haven't mentioned that yet, but you call the retros, and they're living out in the mountains and kind of hiding out and resisting being so-called registered and brought into these uh, population centers. And that kind of sets up the general conflict. Yes, it does, and they, they, by the way, are living uh, as we used to live back at, in the 1800s. Uh, there's minimal energy there, and, and at the same time, they're being squeezed because they they cannot burn uh, wood or coal. Uh, they they can hunt only in restricted areas. Hunting is frowned on. Uh, the weapons have to be, the hunting implements have to be registered and all that. And, of course, they ignore all that. <laughs> yeah, but, of course, because um, they're retros after all. <laughs> right. And and they're seen by the elite as these, you know, rabble-rousing type, you know, hill bobs that they, they really don't care about other than they're a bit of a nuisance and an easy target to blame on what's going wrong in the city um, because their their energy systems are failing, and then they can say, well, we had some 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 of these hillbilly raiders come in and mess with our power well, lines. Well, let's go a little that direction more, if you can, without revealing the entire plot line. Uh, right. You know, because the idea, you, you, you think that if you've got everybody living in the city and we're all concerned about the planet, we, we'd have this utopia. But if you can, without ruining the plot line, paint a picture for us of what life is like for those that have gone along with the program and are now living in the cities because 
you know, they're really living in their own gray, bleak existence, uh, even though it maybe isn't because of the, the clouds and the cold weather. They've got a pretty bleak existence. Well, it's, it goes back, it's actually reverting back to the, the Roman days or, or the days of when, you know, you have either, uh, nowadays we have running water, but reverting back to the, the Roman days, you have running workers, running servants, um, and at a certain tier, that's that's the way it's 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 working. Where the people that are recruited or the people that are already in the cities are now uh, assigned to various supportive tasks and various levels, and then you you build that up to a, a, a level where administrators are there and they're graded up to a higher level. And the the ones at the top don't seem to be having much of an issue. They they have. Cars they can they've got a pretty nice life. With. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty, as as uh, Mel Mel Brooks said in one movie, it's it's great to be the king. And, <laughs> and uh, it's it's like that. And and yet these people are at the very top are not quite satisfied with their position. They want more of of what they have and and it's it's typical of the um you know human spirit really power right right and we, we all we all have a basic selfish core looking out for sure. ourselves and despite that we may say oh well we're all for the planet and the good of the earth and all that we're still humans at our core yeah and as it as it turns out it, that's a little bit of a bottom line I, I i draw i won't get into too much of that but All right. down at the lower levels, you have the things are falling apart because, as in the Atlas Shrug saga, um, they haven't planned things out too well. They they've picked winners and losers, and they're they're using some uh, trying to use like ninety percent renewable energy, and it just is you know, it is not working out very well. They're having blackouts, energy rationing, um, having to give out. Uh, basically the equivalent of, of food stamps for energy, and people are earning credits in order to have a subsistence. So it isn't so And the happy credits are basically the currency of the day. Yes. Yeah. That's right. And there's no cars, I noticed. Well, only, in, only for the police, military, and upper um, echelon. You, they can access transportation, but why? You know, it's one of those things. We'll telling the people, why would you want to go anywhere? We're living in utopia here. Why? <laughs> you know. Yeah. So and, and so, and their their dwellings, their their apartments, so to speak. You've got them in what do you call them? Cubes. Cubes, and and it's the it's again. And I let me track back just for a second. All right. Much of this has to do with my prior research and reading into how a lot of the hardcore environmentalist folks would like to see people living, if they're going to live, right? And it really is like as, as minimal an impact on the environment, as maximum a control on one's carbon footprint, all of that is sort of rolled into the population centers are the best way to aggregate people, collect them together, and be able to minimize the impact that humans have on the earth. So 
uh, that's that's part of the take, and they're living in these little, and it's it's like oh, you get a five hundred square foot cubicle instead of a three hundred. You know, oh boy. You know? <laughs> yeah, and let me say, I I felt that you did a, an excellent job at not preaching, but subtly weaving in a lot of these narratives, uh, you know, and you obviously uh, put a lot of research into it, such as reading uh, uh, the Diaries of Anne Frank and Atlas Shrugged, and there's a lot of that influence in it, but it's got the, the here and now elements to it, the things that we know are, are being implemented today, that are being worked on today, that are being proposed, and, and you've taken them to the logical uh, conclusion or logical end um, without it being, uh, you know, preachy in any way, it, and you're, the themes are woven in subtly. Well, that goes back, that harkens back to my having read your book, and I, I think I wrote to you saying something like, um, I just discovered it, and it was after I'd already written this this book. I said, oh, wow, I wish I'd, I'd found you before. But um, And that's hence all the tabs and the, and the uh, you know, post-its and all that. They're decorating your, your book. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it is amazing how – and I – I'm going to venture into something, and this is, it's kind of, it, it's a bit of an admission. Um, I, I used to, I'm a, I'm a recovering, uh, you know, banner-waving, sign-waving protester from back in, the, back in the 70s and 80s and was really down for the liberal movement and, you know, uh, shoot, I was for McGovern. And um, <laughs> that says a lot. Yeah, I know. And, and very and yet, few people would admit that today, so that's brave of you. And uh, so I got into this as as a venture because I was in the coal business and I was seeing what was happening, just illogically. It, 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 this is, what's happening is not a, a rational, measured, careful approach to our energy situation, and, and you get that. And, and yeah, it's ideological. So I'm I'm trying to send this message out through a story that it, that hopefully is more convincing than just facts and figures, and trying to stand on the street corner and convince the the green folks that they need to change their their momentum. Um, but th- this is a story that I I want to give heart to people that. They they can stop this and well slow it down to a point where it makes sense. We can move carefully and rationally, and not have to go into a disastrous situation. Some of which we're seeing with uh, instances of energy poverty in England, in Germany, yes. um, in Kentucky. Last uh, last January, people are lined up overnight in a two-mile-long line of cars waiting to get their energy vouchers from the uh, Low-Income Home Energy Assistance Program uh, sponsored by our federal government. And, yes. you know, we're headed there. And I, I, I just, you know, it, it, it twists, twists my guts around seeing this, this beautiful prosperity that we have being driven into the ground. Yeah, it's very scary when you look at look at where we're headed 
down this path and, and how far we already are down this path. And I think most people don't realize it. We've got, Coleman, about 45 seconds before we end this segment. Can, can you, in that time, kind of say, why, why the novel format? You, you kind of touched on it there in your last comments. Uh, the novel format, meaning it's just the, the future put out there? No, why? Why did you do a novel rather than a fact? Oh, a novel. I see. Yeah, because uh, I think stories really affect people in a different way than just factual representations. Uh, stories can really affect people in, in emotionally and, and get in, into their, their matrix of, of uh, understanding and, and tell them things that you just can't outright say. And that's, that's why I avoided much of the exposition um, to, to make it real, to show the people at the end effect of what's happening that they can identify with. And, and people can great, identify great. with stories. We're going to be back on America's Voice for Energy after our break. Stay tuned. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This is our final segment of today's show, and I'm Marita Noon, the host of America's Voice for Energy. I'm also the executive director of Energy Makes America Great and the companion educational organization, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy. You can find my weekly column that I referenced throughout the show today on Breitbart.com, RedState.com, and a variety of other websites. And uh, many newspapers also publish a shorter version of the column. We're talking today with Coleman Alderson, and he is the author of Mountain Whispers, Days Without Sun, a fascinating novel that I encourage all of our listeners to, to get a copy. You can get a 
copy of it through Amazon.com. There's also a website with more information on the book and other interviews and things available. And that website is mountainwhispersbooks.com. So, Coleman, in our final segment here, uh, what do you hope this book accomplishes? Well, I would like it to, if it, it's so much addressed to the, the hardcore envir environmental type folks, but it is addressed to uh, hopefully the general population as kind of a wake-up, a, a message of saying, look, folks, this is, this is the direction we're headed in, and unless we start getting ourselves informed and, and getting out there and monitoring these, these new regulations and standing up to say, hey, whoa, let's slow it down, um, it, we're going we're gonna to go down this road. And I, I really don't want to see these, these things occur. I, I don't want to... Yeah, and let, let me mind. jump in there for a sec. Let me jump in there if I may, because you say yeah. slow it down a bit. So I want to point out for our, our listeners what I propose and what you've proposed is not that we throw away all these regulations, because, um, you know, most of us in America realized back in the 70s that we needed to do things differently. I had one of my mentors who since passed away did a lot of work in China, and he told me that China today is where America was in the 70s. And they realized that they need to clean up. They polluted their air. They polluted their rivers. And he told me the coal-fired power plants that they're building in China are cleaner than anything they have. we have in the United States. They have the best technology. So, you know, when you hear those, those uh, numbers about how many coal-fired power plants China is building a week, Personally, I picture those old-time movies with people moving, you know, very fast. I'm picturing them building. How could they build that many coal-fired power plants a week? They must be very fast workers. But, you know, that's really how many they're finishing a week. But, um, you know, they're doing things cleanly. And the reason their coal-fired power plants now are cleaner than anything we have is simply because uh, you really can't build a coal-fired power plant in this country these days. Yeah, I, I think the last one that was uh, approved has been disapproved, and that was going to be one of those uh, clean coal-type power plants and, uh, I, you know, back to that. But we, we really have a responsibility, and we are needing to be good stewards of what we have. It's just a matter of degree as to how much control we want to apply, how much uh, we want to uh, put forward in, in terms of regulations, and also this trajectory that we're on is really uh, it's anti-human in a way because it has to do with cutting back what is supporting our livelihood. And if folks can wake up and realize um, maybe some of the folks out there have lived in a developing country, um, have spent time. We've we spent nearly a, a cumulative uh, uh, half year in India. And to live in that situation and know what having uh, disruptions in power and, and seeing children running along and the reason they have cows there, they say, well, you know, people are hungry there. Why don't they eat those cows? Well, if they eat those cows, they don't have the biomass to cook their food. 
and how they get the biomass, the children, <laughs> and the people follow the cows around and pick up the dung and make literally cow patties, and that's what they use to cook with and to heat their homes with. And, you know, it's, yeah, we are kind of spoiled in America, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, we, we have first world problems here and and so having having the internet be slow or go offline is a first world problem having to run around behind a cow to collect your heating is is definitely a, a bit more of a problem but you see that's where we're reverting back to those people are living in energy poverty and just as in germany and now in england a lot of the regulations and the flip over to renewals is pushing us in that direction again. And we don't want to see, you know, lines of cars lined up two miles overnight in freezing weather of people having to go in and get vouchers to heat their homes and keep their families alive. You know, it's it's an amazing thing. And I, I'm trying to get folks to realize um, we we can't do this. We just, you know, we have to back off and take a measured, rational approach, and we'll succeed. By golly, I'm an optimist, and I know we're going to make it if allowed the time and allowed the space and allowed the uh, technology that we have to develop. We'll, we'll make it. We always have. Yeah, you know, and it's a, the, the Earth has an amazing uh, self-healing ability when we look at where we were in the 70s, and we realized we needed to clean things up, and we haven't. As I said in our first segment, here in Farmington, New Mexico, uh, the American Lung Association just declared a, a small community that has two coal-fired power plants has the second cleanest air in the country, we've, we've improved, we've learned, and uh, we've got clean air now. It's not that that dirty air from the 70s stayed here. Uh, you know, I wrote a column a few weeks ago uh, at the time of the fifth anniversary of the Deepwater Horizon accident and the 87 days of Americans watching oil spilling into the Gulf of Mexico on television every day, and you look at where that region is today, and yes, there is still work to be done. I'm not saying there was uh, no damage, but frankly, there doesn't seem to be ecologically a lot of permanent damage. The the fish uh, harvests are up. The the most of the businesses are back. And yes, there were some people who had some economic damage, and and BP made some serious payouts. And I'm not saying it was all fair or that it was all perfect. But what I am pointing to, the big lesson learned uh, based on my research on this is the the Earth is amazingly resilient and. Uh, we, we have done so much to, to clean it up and have a really beautiful, safe environment. Well, according to many of the pundits that are still out there today forecasting disaster, uh, many of those guys were still back 30 years ago forecasting disaster by now, you know. Yes. <laughs> completely wrong about it. And uh, so it's... It, we just have to, that's another thing, we just have to take a precautionary approach and realize that we don't need to, to do anything radical. There's, there's no huge catastrophic uh, thing that's, that's just around the corner. 
And here's the thing. If there is, wouldn't we want the technology and the high energy capability to deal with it? Yes. So Good point. That, that turns it on its head a little bit. And in your book, one of the things, and we won't go too much into this because I know it's kind of a key thing in the book, that uh, there there is a, a new source of energy that's, that's kind of uh, someone tinkering in their garage out there in the woods uh, discovered. And I often, as I'm talking about energy, will say to people, you know, I believe that, I mean, we're not going to be on oil, gas, and coal forever. We are certainly going to be for our lifetimes, anyone that's alive today, but we're not going to be on that forever. But we do have, especially when you throw in uranium for nuclear power, we've got hundreds of years worth of supply. And as we use it more and more efficiently, the, the supply you know, usage, its lifetime, actually gets extended. But, you know, there's people who love to tinker, as in your story. Uh, and I, I've always said that there is going to be some new energy source, and I believe that whatever that new energy source is is nothing that any of us are really thinking about today. There's going to be something that, you know, some great mind somewhere is going to come up with. And when you look at the history of energy, as you and I talked about on Sunday, um, you see that when we're about to run out of one source, Amazingly, human ingenuity discovers something else out there, and uh, there will be other other things, but it's got to be something that's efficient, something that is effective, and something uh, that is economical. And uh, you know, as you said, we, we if we take a measured approach, we look at this reasonably. Uh, there will be there will be steps forward without this catastrophic approach. We've got about. Uh, about two more minutes, uh, Coleman. You know what? What do you want to say in closing? Well, I would like to say that uh, the book is up on Amazon in <laughs> paper book format, <laughs> and also uh, in Kindle format. And I would greatly appreciate reviews. It would be very helpful if folks want to help us out with that. That would be great to to get the book. Yes, and I appreciate the nice review you wrote of my book on Amazon too. Thank you. Oh, for sure. I thought it was great. I really did. Thank you for writing that. Um, and then just in general, the, the, we need to be proud of our technology. We need to be proud of our energy. We need to take a whole new look at um, what Alex Epstein uh, refers to as the moral case for fossil fuels. And it has delivered us, I, I think, between your book his book and what I've written about the future, it sort of forms a triad of, of um, uh, direction and information as to how we can begin anew to appreciate what it is that we have. And, and I think as folks go through the day, just think about living without electricity. Just just take a moment as you go through and realize what what. Uh, oil and petroleum products have delivered to us and live in an appreciative kind of state of, wow, I'm so glad we have this. We're, we're living the life. Most of us wouldn't be alive were it not for this kind of energy. And, and consider the impulse out there now to begin to siphon that away. What, you know, is it about energy, really, or is it about power? So uh, <laughs> I, that's, that's a 
probably a pretty tight closing uh, closing statement to... Yeah, is it really forward. about energy or is it about power? And you don't mean power as in the power plant. You right. mean power as in control of, of uh, the population. Exactly. Yeah. We're out of time. We've been talking today with Coleman Alderson, author of the book Mountain Whispers, Days Without Sun, available on Amazon.com and his website, MountainWhispersBooks.com. I encourage you to check it out. I'm Marita Noon. Thanks for listening to America's Voice for Energy on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.